Hello, and welcome to Pop Culture Hangfire with Christian and Gabriel. The podcast where we revisit the decade that is the 1980s year by year and talk about what happened and how it impacted pop culture and learn a ton, maybe. The year 1980, the Iran-Iraq war begins in September. Former Beatle John Lennon is shot to death by Mark David Chapman. Vigdis Finbogadotir is fourth elected president of Iceland, making her the first woman democratically elected as head of state. The U.S. entered the biggest economic downturn since the Great Depression. The Rubik's Cube became an icon and retailed for $9.99, Gabe. And the World Health Organization announced that smallpox has been eradicated worldwide. This WHO organization has been doing pretty well, I think, if they eradicated the... Uh, well, they made the announcement. I don't know if they eradicated it. <laughs> yeah, there can be a world of difference between those two, but I... Uh... I, it does. I do think they they managed to get rid of it. I mean, and by eradicated, of course, we mean it's in the it's in the freezers of the of the United States and Russia still, because you know, just in case we need. Wasn't wasn't there like a, a story not so long ago where like somebody found yes. a vial that was just like yeah. laying somewhere? <laughs> so there's two interesting tidbits about that that I heard in fairly recent history. One is that Russia lost track of one, and that's disturbing on multiple levels, just because according to whatever they disclosed, they didn't know who had it. So anybody could like a, you know, terrorist could have it, whoever. Right. And uh, that's problematic. But the, the one in America is, is disturbing, but slightly funnier, which is that there was a researcher at a college who was like going through their science freezer. And in the back of it found this file and was like, what the hell is this? And it turns out it was smallpox. <laughs> and so like, they had to like, stop calling the the army you know have them come and like check out to make sure everything was okay and then move it to their secure facility i, I think it had been like moved to the to the school to be it, it had been used for something and then somehow forgotten gabe, <laughs> just left in the back gabe you can go open your refrigerator right now and find something that you forgot you left in there months I mean, ago yeah but like here's the deal like so i i just finished uh I had a box of Girl Scout cookies that I had in there. Ooh, what flavor? Hang on, I, I gotta know this. Uh, Thin Mints, obviously. But eh, don't say obviously Samoas. I mean, say. it Thin Mints is the obvious for me. Okay, all right. And see, they're in there, and I purposely left them in there for a long time. Oh no, because they're, they're only good cold. I mean, they're great cold. They're perfect, like right out the freezer, and. The thing is, it's in there. There's a bunch of stuff in my freezer, but that is one thing that I never forgot was in <laughs> my freezer because it was important. So Thin Mints were my smallpox, were what should have been my smallpox. Well, but here's the thing, though. It's 2020, 21, 22. Is smallpox that important as Thin Mints anymore? I mean, I don't know I if mean, you heard, but it got eradicated in 1980. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they can't hurt us now. Exactly. I mean, theoretically, it's 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 more important now because nobody's nobody. Most people, most people aren't immunized. You might well be immunized against it. 
Oh, I'm sure. Uh, I think yeah. before I went, before we went to Iraq, yeah. they gave us. I they didn't even tell us what it was. They just said. Oh no, 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 yeah, I, just, I very much recall. No, I do remember one though. They did tell us anthrax. That was it. <laughs> the yeah. other ones were like, we're just making sure that you know, blah blah blah. And I was like, yeah, go ahead, man. And then just line up. It was yeah, like you do? two per arm. arm. Yep. Two per arm, ass cheek, and then like at least one or two, uh, you know, down the gullet. Um, good times. All right, let's talk about people who were born in 1980. This this gentleman is at the top of my list for this episode just because he's so current for me right now and because we owe him a great um, amount of gratitude because we have stolen at least two episodes from him. Brett Goldstein, British actor, comedian, and writer. He is best known for uh, his work in Ted Lasso. But we know him because we stole uh, films to be buried with and the resurrection oh. episode. Yeah, exactly. The man deserves Perfect. exactly. So he was born in born in 1980. Kristen Bell, American actress. She is America's new sweetheart, I think. I I first got into her with Veronica Mars. Then um, forgetting Sarah Marshall, she was fantastic in forgetting Sarah Marshall. And then I did like The Good Place. Um, you know, I think everybody and their mothers has seen um, her as uh, Elsa. But yeah, born 1980. Do you know the name Ben Savage? Oh, that is familiar to me. Now, not to be confused with Fred Savage. No. Okay, so you know Fred they're Savage. Both, they're both savages, though. <laughs> but um, bum Okay, that's what we need. We need a but um, bum Yeah. Yeah, we do. Uh, ben Savage is uh, Fred Savage's little brother. He is best known for his role as Boy Meets World. I, I that's the only thing I know him from, and the reunion show. Uh, but enough for me to be like, yeah, he needs to be mentioned that he was born in 1980. That's fair. Uh, American rap artist, film, music producer, actor, author, Ti, born in 1980. Big fan of Ti. American actor, and he is also um, credited as singer, and 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 you can fill me in, and uh, or you maybe you can guess why. Zachary Levi, he actually has a Grammy or an Oscar, I think, for his singing. Oh, I I think I know, uh, I've read about it, and I can't remember why now, because I saw he was a uh, he was Shazam, right? He was Shazam, and he was also Which Chuck. Was... Yep. Yep. Untangled, he sang in the Disney movie. Oh, or yeah. Not yeah, untangled, yeah, yeah. tangled. Tangled. <laughs> uh, and he, yeah, he got a Grammy or an Oscar for his performance in the song because the song got yeah, yeah, nominated. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, that, that was interesting. Uh, this is a, an individual that unfortunately we've talked about. <laughs> and, and I'm just surprised how young he is for how much he's accomplished. Nick Cannon, American uh, TV actor, producer. Do you know that he just had a kid? He has a woman pregnant. And he celebrated one of his kids' one-year birthday. Like, all. This man is is something. At least he is paying every bit of everything. Right. I was going to say, like, I mean, it, it's a good thing he's as successful as he is because, you know, he's, he, it, it, it facilitates his apparent lifestyle. And it's why he has to, like, have 10 jobs. But, yeah, no. He's got to hustle. <laughs> Dude, he's he's got uh, quite a bit of kids in the last 10 years, uh, and he's just 42. That's impressive. That's very impressive. Where does and, the man sleep? 
<laughs> and lastly, an actor that I really love watching him work. I think he's he's so good at what he does. Uh, Chris Pine, born in 1980. He has done a ton of work, right? Um, but to me, his work as Captain Kirk is phenomenal. Uh, he is he is a, a just incredible, incredible actor. Uh, and then, you know, as uh, Steve Rogers in the Wonder Woman franchise, fantastic in both movies. I, I also just incredibly handsome. You know what it is? He's like a good-looking guy that also can play off. He's like Jake Gyllenhaal to me, you know? Like, he's good-looking, but he also can take a punch, according to the movies that he's been in. I'll say that. I'll say that. But I really like I really like his work. I think he's 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 a, he's a good guy. All right, moving on to people who died in 1980, we got two. This one is going to shock you, Gabe. Colonel Sanders died in 1980. I I'm just surprised that he made it to 1980. Kind of. Is it because of it all? It feels the, like. Oh, the lard. <laughs> <laughs> well, that. It feels like it, he feels like an institution, you know, like it feels like it had to have been around. He feels like he's from a bygone era. I I kind of agree with you. In the sense where, like, I feel the same way about like, um, uh, I forget, uh, Thomas from uh, Wendy's. Mm. But KFC opened in 1950. Yeah. So he only got to ride that train for for 30 years. And and I mean the, gr- the gravy train, the gravy train with uh, biscuit wheels, Gabe. So you know, and 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 if you think about it, KFC has become what it's become in the last thirty or forty years. So yeah. he really didn't even get to the peak of it. He just had a little chicken shack. That's all he knew. It, it's it's exactly all he knew. Um, do you know how he got the nickname Colonel? Colonel. His full name, by the way, is Colonel Harlan David Sanders. Uh, I, I don't know how he got it. After being commissioned, uh, a Kentucky Colonel by the governor, he began addressing himself as Colonel. And basically his friends kind of went along with it and, uh, they thought it was kind of a joke at first and it just kind of (laughs) stuck. So he, uh, he took the honorific seriously. He did. He did. The next person that passed away in 1980, uh, let's see if you know this name. And I'm sure you'll know the work in case the name doesn't sound familiar. Peter Sellers. It does sound familiar. You'll know him because of the biggest role that he had was Inspector Cousseau in the uh, Pink Panther movies. Yeah. Now, he himself was actually a very, very well-known and renowned actor outside of that. One of my favorite movies of his is Dr. Strangelove. Where he plays two characters within that movie, besides the Pink Panther. But another little known fact, in 1967, he also played James Bond in a comedy, almost um, uh, parody of, uh, of, uh, of uh, Casino Royale. Mm. So now, James Bond was already around. Uh, the first Bond yep. movie came out in the early, early 60s, I think, 62. And by 67, there was at least four or five Bond movies. At that time, they did this parody movie with him where he played 
James Bond um, fighting. It's almost like it was almost like he was fighting Doctor No. I think so. It was definitely a parody where he actually got to play uh, James Bond. But he was in the business since the fifties. He got about thirty years worth of work and then um, passed away. I think another big movie that everybody mentions when it comes to him is The Party, um, where his physical comedy and comedic timing like is just insane insane like the dude was i mean like the like the like the pink panther it's what he didn't say that always that always uh you know yeah took up most of the screen yeah peter sellers passed away all right moving on to movies that came out this one is relevant because it recently got relaunched as a tv show in showtime american gigolo do you know this film no american gigolo Written and directed by Paul Schrader, the man who gave us Taxi Driver. And it stars Richard Gere. This was a um, a career-launching movie for Richard Gere, who, who then goes on to do like an officer and a gentleman. But basically, uh, he plays a high-priced male escort. Huh? That's different. Uh, who becomes uh, romantically involved with one of his uh, clients who happens to be a politician's wife. And obvious- so far-fetched. And then obviously he's uh, also uh, a, a suspect in a murder case. Oh. Uh, obviously. They, they're sprinkled a little extra controversy. <laughs> and uh, not only that, but the controversy from the real movie was that this was the first mainstream Hollywood film to include full frontal male nudity from its main star. Mm-hmm. Are you quality? I say. Are you familiar with Richard Gere's work at all? Uh, just yeah, passingly. Passingly, right? I think I think he's gotten to the point where, like, I think exactly as you put it, like passingly, we all like we know Richard Gere. Like we know he was in Pretty Woman. Oh yeah, fuck. That's right. Pretty Woman. That's his. That's his. Uh, his big one. Uh, but for me, like an officer and a gentleman, uh, we'll probably be talking about in a couple of years. You know. But I remember, like in the nineties, he was in everything. Like he did a he did a King Arthur movie. Yeah, where he I was think, more prolific. Yeah, where I think he played Rand, like Lancelot. He was um, he was in a Bruce Willis movie, The Jackal, uh, the musical Chicago, like. He he's actually done really well, but he never like I think the eighties were his peak. Next movie we'll talk about. Are you familiar with the characters Cheech and Chong, Gabe? Yes. Have you seen the movies or just familiar with the characters? Uh I've definitely seen some. Uh I have not seen all of those movies though. Okay, well Cheech and Chong's next movie came out in nineteen eighty. <laughs> just the next one that's literally what they called it yeah uh, yep <laughs> i like it the laziest possible title yep the sequel to the um to the chijin chong movie up in smoke mm-hmm. uh this one was directed by tommy chung so kind of cool now i will say this right up in smoke is definitely like it just like just like next movie there is no plot you're really invested in the characters of chijin chong yeah and what they do um part two was not as funny and it was interesting but it just kind of repeated a lot of the things that were done in the first one yeah so it wasn't as great but 
you know, uh, Cheech and Chong ended up doing quite a few movies, and a lot of their comedy records were fantastic too. And even now, they're still, you know, they're still uh, very popular. Plus, you know, with Cheech, you 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 know, with Chong, we got just all this drug paraphernalia. Thank God. With Cheech, we had him. I mean, he he's come out in so many different movies and TV shows. I always yeah. think of him from like from Dust Till Dawn. You know. It's like it's like a three minute, four minute scene, but it's like the most memorable scene in the movie. Yeah, he's exceptional. But yeah, that came out Still in 19, 1980. Here's a fun one. So in the eighties, there were well, late seventies, early eighties, there were um, animated Tolkien movies, right? I always thought that there was three movies that all followed each other. It turns out. Two different companies were making animated Tolkien movies. Oh. Exactly. So in 1977, The Hobbit film came out, right? Yep. In 1980, Return of the King came out. That was a sequel to The Hobbit. They basically, in The Hobbit, they took the first three books, two books. Oh. And in The Return of the King, they put the other two books. So they put four books into two movies. Okay. But... In 1978, another company made a movie called The Lord of the Rings, which took the Fellowship of the Ring and the Two Towers and put them into a movie. So everybody thinks that it was The Hobbit, The Lord of the Rings, and The Return of the King, because, all again, three movies within yeah. three years that were all animated about The Lord of the Rings. I, I'm sure I thought the same thing because I, I believe I've seen all of them. I, I believe seen some. I believe I, I fell under the same thing. But yeah, so The Return of the King, uh, also known as The Return of the King Story of the Hobbits because they were trying to put other movies together, um, came out in 1980. Again, nothing special. Just interesting that in the 80s, the best way you could get a movie like that produced and made would be animation because of, I imagine what the production cost would have been to try to make what Peter Jackson made, you know? I don't, yeah, to try to imagine that epic and grand of a story with that many set pieces. The, uh, I don't remember which one. I think it was, I honestly, I couldn't say. I'd be guessing. I remember the standout memory of one of those movies for me was for one of the animation bits they did when they had the Horde of Orcs, they did this thing where they did have real actors, but like they did... They did whatever camera trick to like make it. It was like a capture of of real. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, that was the 1978 separate Lord of the Rings. Movie. Okay, because I didn't know yes, which one it was for sure. That one was, was like, really good. And they did that capture, and I just remember that that stuck with me all these years. That scene with all the orcs, because like it's it's animated in style, but like they had done something to capture real movement. So there was just a ton of anyway. It was interesting. They were they were interesting movies. It was an interesting take. It was. It was. The next movie that comes out in 1980, and this is, I mean, when you think about franchises, when you think about movies that are now relevant 40 years later, Gabe, Friday the 13th comes out in 1980. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as we all know, the plot follows a group of teenager camp counselors who are murdered one by one by an unknown killer at the summer camp of, was it Crystal Lake? I think it was Crystal Lake. Crystal Lake, Lake, yeah. Now, the funny thing is, uh, 
this is actually Kevin Bacon's in this movie, by the way. When I was doing the research, I was like, oh, a young Kevin Bacon. Nice. Um, this was created based on the success of Halloween that came out two years prior. And I think it was the same, you know, the same thing that we talked about with Star Wars and like Flash, Flash Gordon and everything is like once one movie does well, then they all try to jump on it, you know? Yep. So, yeah. So basically, like um, uh, the success of that had the screenwriter and director, um, Sean Cunningham, start selling Friday the 13th without having even written the script yet. <laughs> to try to get like, you know, to try to get like like the the, the money for it. Yeah, less than a million dollar budget, by the way. Yeah, technically an indie film. I think it was half a million. Um, Wild. But then the bidding war started because of how well the you know the film was going to do. But it went on to make like sixty million dollars, and you know what? Ten sequels at this point. I. Uh, yeah, that's insane. I mean, he went to space. He fought Freddy. Uh, the only people he hasn't fought are the Terminator, the or like the Predator, <laughs> or aliens. <laughs> he probably had to fight one of those in one of the Mortal Combats. Oh, he did. You're right. He did. <laughs> Technically, <laughs> you're right. Huh. <laughs> and you know, uh, I wish I had prepared better because I, I should have totally had the. Uh... Oh yeah. That iconic uh, soundtrack, you know, that uh, John Carpenter did for Halloween, they had for for for. Uh, for um... So Mike Myers is Halloween. This guy is. Oh no no wait! Spoiler alert, everybody. Uh, the killer of the Friday the Thirteenth movies did not actually appear until part two. Have you have you seen oh. part one or part two? I've seen bits. I don't know of which at this so, point. So this is the fun part. And this is a little little Easter egg. And if, if you don't want the spoilers, please let, uh, turn it off now and come back in two minutes. In part one, there is a killer killing all the camp counselors. But you don't find out who it is until the end. And you find out that it is a, a woman killing everybody because she blames the camp counselors for the death of her son who drowned in Crystal Lake. Oh. Uh... So but at the end of that movie... She dies, but you find out that unearthly powers bring back the son, and he becomes the killer from two to to twelve. Okay, wherever yeah. we're at. So yeah, fun fact. Uh, um, he was not the killer until uh, part two, and I wanna I wanna say his name was Jason Borgius. Jason something, something like that. Borgies? Jason something. Yeah. Yeah. So Jason is uh, something like that. Yeah, Jason is Friday the Thirteenth. And uh, Mike is Halloween, which I think a new Halloween just came out, right? Like Halloween it, ends. It did. Yeah. I don't believe the title, though. I don't believe what they're selling. So that came out in uh, in 1980. The next movie I want to talk about, because it's a very interesting film. And again, at the height of like a very good actor's career to have chosen to do this film. Have you heard of Where the Buffalo Roam? This is a semi... I'll say semi. I'll say um, biographical comedy film about, loosely about Hunter S. Thompson in okay. the in the seventies. It's a comedy because Bill Murray plays Hunter S. Thompson. 
It's so yeah. Imagine imagine a comedian impersonating Hunter S. Thompson. So you you almost get Hunter S. Thompson because he was that wild and crazy. You know, he almost almost unbelievable how he acted. Yeah. So yeah, but basically, uh, they they had the the they had the story based on uh, the character that Hunter Thompson worked with uh, Costa, who was played by Peter Boyle, and they based it on that. So they didn't necessarily need Hunter Thompson's approval on it. Because it was, oh. he was a character from the story that someone else wrote. Damn. Um, but he does admit that he signed away any kind of control that he could have had, um, so that because he thought it was going to be terrible and he did not want to be blamed for the end result, so he signed off all all of it. Now, now him and Bill Murray hung out because Bill Murray wanted to, you know, get the mannerisms, and I guess within two weeks or so Bill Murray became Hunter S. Thompson to the point where they like, I think one of the stories is that they would go out drinking and hanging out together. And that like, it, there was a story of where like they were both trying to do outdo each other. And it ended up with like, who could escape from being tied up to a chair and thrown into a, a pool. And Bill Murray almost drowned because he couldn't get out of it. And it's just insane. But but actually, it's it's been it's been it's been recorded that that season when when Bill Murray went back to SNL, he was still acting like Hunter and S. Thompson. Like he actually embodied the character where he did not get out of character for a while. Apparently, uh, it took a minute to shake it. I bet just just a minute, just a minute, Gabe. If you haven't seen it, it's a very interesting film. It's very not. it's very funny. But the problem is that you see Bill Murray and you know it's a comedy. You know, and the fact is, like, even though he's acting like Hunter S. Thompson, and if you look at um, Johnny Depp's performance in Fear and Loathing, he's acting the same way. But Johnny Depp doing it is a serious actor. Bill Murray doing it is a comedian. So even though they're doing the exact same things, it comes off more comedic by with Bill Murray than it does with Johnny Depp. So yeah. the movie, to me, always seemed like a parody, didn't seem real. But when you watch it again... You're like, oh wow! Like Bill Murray, like nailed it. He really, really like embodied that character. But I think I remember the first time I watched, I was just like, oh, it's a comedy. It's, they're making fun of Hunter. And then after watching Johnny Depp and you know finding more out about Hunter S. Thompson, rewatching it, you're like, oh no, that's that's actually how Hunter Thompson was. <laughs> like there is no exaggeration here. <laughs> So it's a, it's actually a very good film to watch. It's actually very good. Bill Murray's fantastic in that. All right, let's go on to first appearances for 1980. We have Drew Barrymore in a movie called Altered States. No idea about the movie, but we know that Drew Barrymore goes on to do two fantastic movies in the 80s, E.T. and Stephen King's Firestarter. That's the only thing I know from her in the 80s, um, but... This was her debut year. Do you know the name Judge Reinhold? It's familiar. It's familiar. In the 80s, he was actually very popular. He started out in the movie Running Scared. But you might remember him from Fast Times at Richmond High. He was the older brother who worked at the... Um... Have you seen Fast Times? I should ask that first. Okay, never mind. Have you seen Stripes? Yes. Okay. 
tall, skinny, lanky dude who wore the shirt that said Death Before Disco. Okay. Judge Reinhold. <laughs> and he was also the L.A. cop that Foley gets attached to in Beverly Hills Cop. He's okay. the other guy. So Judge Reinhold in the 80s was a pretty big deal. Uh, he had a really great decade. And to be introduced in the 80s, I think we were talking about this with Michael J. Fox last year. Like, this dude had quite the career in the 80s. If he got introduced in the in 1980, and the string of movies that, that he has that he's a part of in the 80s, he skyrocketed very quickly. But by the 90s, though, just, you know, the work died, I think. I think I'd be a good person to, like, dive into to see what, what he's done with his life. Yeah. I'll, I'll make a note of that. Uh, Jeremy Irons, do you know that name? Yep. He currently, I think, or the last thing I think I saw him in was he was Alfred in the Batman, the Ben Affleck Batman movies, which I thought was awesome. He is best known, I think, for two films, The Voice of Scar in Lion King. Yep. And Hans Gruber's brother in Die Hard 3, <laughs> which is where I remember him from. But he got started in a movie called Nijinsky in 1980. Now, this was his first film debut. He was in TV, in British TV before that. Uh, here's a good one, dude. William H. Macy, 1980. Movie called Somewhere in Time. William H. Macy goes on and still has an amazing career. But 1980, that's when he started. Wild. Wild indeed. And a personal favorite of mine, Ed O'Neill. Stars in 1980 in a movie called Cruising. Uh, again, he goes on to have one of the most successful, I think, TV shows in the 80s slash 90s, Married with Children. But he has quite a few good movies in the 80s, too. One of them being Dutch. Um, it's a movie about... I don't know if you've ever seen Dutch, but... I've, I've The name's familiar. I've heard of it. It's a movie where he is dating... He's dating a woman, and... Um, she has a son in military school or something, and he volunteers to go pick him up and do a road trip to kind of bond with him. And it just it's one of those like movies where like he tries everything he can, but the kid's a fucking asshole. He hates the fact that the parents are divorced. He hates him for dating his mother. It's like it's a very good comedy. It's a very good film. He's fantastic in that. He is. Uh, but, you know, Ed O'Neill does what, 10 years of of. Um, uh, married with children and then another what 10 years with modern family just an exceptional career good for him all right now we are at something old something new and let me tell you gabe i've had a productive week with pop culture uh -oh. all right i'm all caught up on andor i'm all seven episodes in there's a little bit of lag in this show i'm not gonna lie um i know it's 12 episodes i think right or 11 episodes that they planned so I'm waiting to see where it's going to go. And they've already talked about a second season. Yep. Which is the last season because that season is going to lead into Rogue One. So we know already now it's just two seasons. Uh, but it's good. It's, it's, it's such a cinematic TV show, man. It's so big and so well done. But again, because they know they have 12 episodes, there's a, a couple characters where you're like, why are we seeing these people right now for the last five episodes and they haven't done anything? Which means they're going to have a big part, you know, in the last four or something or the last yeah. two. 
So that part has been annoying where I'm like, why do we keep going back to these people? They're not doing anything. But no, I think it's 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 going it's going so well. It's going so well. Um, the other thing I talked about last week was I was going to start watching a documentary. Now, I said, and I'm going to correct my mistake because I said Paul Newman and Joan Crawford, but Paul Newman was never married to Joan Crawford. Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward is who he mm. was married to. But it's a really interesting story, right? So there was a time when Paul Newman was planning on writing a book and the, and the publishing company he was working with had him interview a bunch of people that he knew and they had all these great video. And then Paul Newman decided, nope, and he burned all the video. Everything they had recorded for all the interviews, he burned it all. And they were like, oh, damn. The daughter of, uh, of Paul Newman reached out to, to Ethan Hawke and was like, hey, you know, this happened. But the the guy who was working on the book had had gotten all the interviews transcribed. So they had everything written. So Ethan Hawke basically reached out to every celebrity that he knows. And he said, hey, I'm doing this documentary. Can you voice these different people? So when we show the audio, so when we show the clips, you'll be the voice of Paul Newman. You'll be the voice of John Woodward. You'll be the voice of, you know, whoever, whoever is that was interviewed for that book. So he basically got Vincent D'Onofrio. He got uh, like Steve Zahn. He got George Clooney. He got a bunch of people to basically read the transcripts. So when you hear about the interview, you just you're hearing George Clooney talk as Paul Newman. As if, <laughs> as if it was that actual interview. Yeah. So it's fantastic. I'm two episodes in. I think it's like seven episodes. It's a good long one. Huh. Um, the Last of the Movie Stars is what it's called. And it's just about, you know, how Joan Woodward was like the famous actress when they, when they hooked up. Because um, she had gotten an Oscar for her performance. And he was starting out, but he was not getting a lot of work. And the unfortunate and fortunate thing is he kept getting roles that other good actors turned down, you know? So like, so like Marlon Brando turned something down, Paul Newman got it, you know, um, James Dean turned something down. So Paul Newman got it. And literally the fact that James Dean passed away was what helped skyrocket him into success because he started getting recognized for his work a lot more. Now he's a, he's an exceptional actor, obviously, but, yeah, he, you know, he got more opportunities. Basically, is what they're saying. Yep. And yeah, like they, they, uh, it's an, it's a very interesting story. He was married. They met. They had a affair for like five years before they married, had kids and everything. And it's it's very cute because apparently they were just very hot for each other. They were just banging left and right. And it's because even the kids were all like, yeah, they they had two doors to their bedroom. They said. You know, because they wanted to, like, have that privacy. And whenever you couldn't catch them, they were, like, making out just, you know, like, really excited to be with each other. I think that's awesome. I think that's fantastic. But it's a it's been a very cool documentary to be watching. And then the other thing I got to listen to and, and, and binge this week is a podcast called um, All There Is by Anderson Cooper. And it's very interesting. Um. Luckily for podcasts, dude, I have a lot of time for them. 
I have a dog and I walk him in the morning, in the midday and in the evening. And it's about two hours worth of time for me to listen to like two podcasts a day. I don't. I'll listen to one and listen to music. But uh, this week I was able to burn through seven episodes of uh, Anderson Cooper's podcast. And it's a very simple premise. He is dealing with grief and he is talking to people who have dealt with grief. He he has a really interesting story. When he was 10, his father passed away from some sort of cancer. And when he was 21, his brother committed suicide. So he was just left with his mother, who is uh, Vanderbilt. I don't know if you know that last name. Very famous. I do, yeah. So it was around that time that he started doing a lot of his own you know, work, going into war zones and stuff like that. And, th- and then his mother recently passed. So mm. he... He had kept her apartment, um, and now he's actually finally he's like, okay, I'm gonna sell it. So he has to go through all the through the other apartment to get rid of things and move things. And he started the podcast around that time, basically to to kind of like keep track of everything he's going through because he's finding out that his mother kept a bunch of his brother's stuff too. Oh. So as he's going through the apartment, he's finding things of his brother, of his father, and of his mother. So he's he's kind of going through grieving all over again. So it's it's really really powerful to be honest with you. And I look I I you know, I'm one of those people I lost my father when I was very young. And I think I've been grieving with it all my entire life with things that I've experienced, things that I write about, things that, you know, um that decisions I've made in my life. I know I'm still grieving or I've never properly grieved. Um, but to hear like, you know, him also going through it and, and, and explaining it and talking to different people, um, it's been really, really powerful. It really has. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, he talks to two people, two actors who I did not know had had such a traumatizing thing happen in their early lives. Um, Stephen Colbert. Stephen Colbert lost his father and two brothers in a plane crash Whoa. when he was 10. I did not know that. Exactly. Molly Shannon, SNL fame, at six years old, she lost her mother and her sister in a car accident where her father was driving. And he ended up okay. He, uh, But the wife and, the, and one of the daughters died in that car crash. And then, oh, man. And then they were left, him and her, her and her sister were just left with him. And you can imagine in the 70s, a man losing the wife and then having to like raise two daughters and he was already an alcoholic. So, you know, like just things did not go great. Um, but they talk about grief and they talk about that type of thing. And then they had a really great interview with somebody uh, with a new term I learned, which is anticipatory grief. And it was about a woman who's who, who her mother went through dementia and passed away and now her father's going through it. So it's one of those things where she, and that's why they call it, you know, anticipatory grief, because you're slowly seeing this person pass away and lo- you're losing them, basically, and knowing what's going to happen because of what you've already experienced, you know, with the exact same thing. It's insane. Uh, like, it's a really great podcast. Again, if you're if you're looking for, for a, a deep dive into into grief uh losing somebody or you've lost somebody i it caught me off guard but man it, it's oof 
it's been a it's uh, it's been a very deep week for me to like think about a bunch of crap it's oof, i hate digging this stuff up but i love it at the same time you know like like they say like you have to live in the grief you know you it's the only way yeah. like, like they, they're like you're never gonna get rid of it if you think you're ever going to win grief you're not you know it's one of those things and stephen colbert said something important he said if you're happy where you are in life, you have to be happy with the grief and the things that happen to you in life because you would not be where you are without those things, you know? So he's like, so if I'm happy now, that means I have to be happy with the fact that my brother and my father died because without that, I would not be where I am. And I was like, mm -hmm. fuck, that's an interesting fucking way to put that, you know? Yeah. It's, it's an amazing podcast. I, I I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Uh, enjoying it in that sense where like, I almost like the pain that I'm feeling from it, you know? It's weird. It's very weird. But I, I definitely uh, uh, recommend it to anybody who wants to go deep into their into their emotions like that. Sounds like it's a good way to process things. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like listening to other people and, and their experiences, it's, it's, it's interesting. But yeah, that's been my, uh, that's been my old something new, something, something old, something new. Yourself? Well, I've had... I've had a fairly busy uh, week with non-fun things, but uh, I I did get to watch another episode of uh, Rings of Power. It's still ramping. I mean, cinematic as ever, we got to see a new place, and everything's being realized fantastically. Like, that's where the money is, and you can tell. It's up to par in all those, you know, the art and the visual aspects. You've met met some big names, and again, knowing that it's not an exact replica of any story that was already told, you know, um, I'm just waiting to see where it goes. You know, by the I'm way, very curious to see. When I was reading about the uh, Return of the King movie that was released in the 1980s, apparently, Tolkien, the Tolkien estate, also tried to stop the um, release of that because they hadn't cleared certain distributions like it seems like seems like <laughs> pretty aggressive yeah it seems like they're never happy with the success of their father's work or grandfather's no. work at this point nope <laughs> i don't know why i mean it must be nice to live in uh what where okay i haven't read i haven't read lord of the rings in a long time and i haven't seen the movies in a long time what is a a a very rich place in the lord of the rings um lore to live in uh i mean i suppose before the the war would happen like minas tirith like the the main capital of gondor was like that big seven you know wherever so many tiered city there you go you know? it must be nice to live there and be looking down upon the rest of us and like yeah. you know trying to stop us from enjoying these amazing stories look the my thing is this also like so this stuff was written in the fifties, right? Uh, yeah, or published right. in the fifties, right? Yeah, it was after he wrote it after his experience. He was in—I don't know—it might have been a little earlier because of World War. Was he? In, he was in World War One. I. I believe so. A but, earlier, but but no, but like for it, I mean, he published, might, yeah, yeah, he might have written it, published, yeah, yeah, and the and the fame and everything probably didn't come until the fifties. Yeah, we're we're seventy years in. I just want to, you know, if if the Tolkien estate is listening. Which you know they might be. You never know. Um, you know, like there, there isn't a lot of chance that this is still going to be popular in twenty or thirty years. You know, like 
Once Peter Jackson's gone, once Stephen Colbert's gone, uh, I don't know how long this is gonna survive, guys. Let's let's. How about we just ride this out? Huh? How about we just be a little more cooperative with what's going on in the world right now? Let's be happy that people want to look at this this uh, work because you know there's only so many stories that can be told, right? Just you know, putting it out there. That's all. That's all I'm saying. Gabe, your thoughts? I mean, I think it's timeless, but I think uh, it's one of those things where the opportunity for it to be mainstream is uh, is what's fleeting. Because it's one of those stories that so much has been built upon that it'll always be the bedrock for for Western fantasy. Um, that's what it's all constructed off of. That's why elves are the way they are. That's why dwarves are the way they are. It's because of Tolkien's work. But the fact that people want an expanded view of that specifically that's kind of an opportunity and i think that's uh you know it's one of those uh it's like an artist that wants their work to be perfect and wants to destroy it if it's not perfect kind of thing it's like well but people really like there was a lot of people who were really great you know i don't have a story off the top of my head because i wasn't prepared for this line of thought but you know uh you can't just sit there and be like well this is an amazing work but it's not up to my part so i'm just gonna smash the heck out of it and then nobody gets to enjoy it but i will say this right let's look at star wars as an example, much, uh, what, 20 years older, right? Or 20 years younger, I should say. Mm-hmm. They have allowed for that lore to carry on, right? W- within the books and the comic books and, and everything that they've, they've, you know, for as much as, 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 as George Lucas has tried to, like, correct <laughs> the canon material, he's allowed for quite a bit of it. I mean, we're at fucking Disney World, for crying out loud. You know, like, he's embraced the fact that I think even he knows, like, there's only so... Like, I think he might even be surprised that 1999 or with 2000, whenever um, Phantom Menace came out, you know, like, reinvigorated the, the franchise, you know, for another 20 years or 30 years at this point. Um, You know, why not use that almost like the MCU? Like, why not use that as your, as your, as your blueprint? Like, hey, we... We can, like like you said, there's some very strong characters that could use a backstory and have done correctly, you know? Look at Jon Snow. Well, Jon Snow's getting his own, like, uh, spinoff from from Lord of the, uh, from um, Game of Thrones. And I'm, I'm all about Jon Snow. Don't care about the other Game of Thrones. I think there's a lot of uh, stories to be told still. I think the, the, one of the challenges for, for Lord of the Rings specifically is that a lot of it is so heavily like it's it's so it's a it's more textbooky than than it is like fantasy story for a lot of the back stuff because he was a linguist at heart and so all this stuff that he's doing he made a he made a whole realm a fantasy realm and setting to justify a language he created that's what happened he was like i made this language and now i gotta i gotta place it somewhere and then there's more that came out of it so uh we have klingon come on you know like we have Stephen Colbert could probably write a sequel to the Cimmerillion (laughs) based on his knowledge alone give the people the opportunity to at least show you what they're capable of doing before you shut everybody out you know that's all I'm saying to the uh, Tolkien estate that's all I'm saying yeah yeah you know I, I dude I would love an animated like TV show like Imagine, imagine, uh, you know, like the Star Wars visions, but for yeah. for Lord of the Rings, that'd be insane. 
That would be amazing to see, like you you know, like uh, different artist takes on 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 um, uh, an ideology like that. That would be awesome. Yeah. Anyway, just putting it out there. That's all. And look, I, again, like we could end up with our own version of Endor One or uh, or Endor Rogue One slash Endor for for Lord of the Rings. I'm just that's been one of the best Star Wars movies I've seen. That was a really good one. You know, and it was because they allowed like. What happens right before the beginning? <laughs> you know, like, can we just, is there anything we can do? Yeah, we can do a really fantastic movie about it. And then create an entire backstory in a, you know, a two 24-episode seasons, you know, a two-season, 24-episode story arc. Yep. No, it's just, I'm just saying, like, you know. Let's let let loose of the reins a little bit. Let let them let the kids have fun. We love it for a reason. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you could you could sit there and criticize some of the mistakes that Star Wars has had uh, over the time and some of the the foibles. But like, you know, again, it's uh it's part of the journey and having some of the the really good stuff too, like the Mandalorian and, and Andor. And you know, you can be you can sit there and 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 clamp down and make sure that there's never those big mistakes, but then you're, you're risking never having those breakouts either. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, exactly. That's a perfect example, right? Mandalorian breakout, Boba Fett, closed door, Andor, rogue one breakout. Like it's okay. Like you're, they're not all going to be hits. You're allowed to miss you. You did everything you could like sleep because you know, you did everything you could rest acknowledge be you know be gracious in your defeat and your wins come on man that's all i'm saying all right we're at time such an angry ending gabriel <laughs> no it's not uh this was this was a good one though uh that ends 1980 though uh we are not going to go into 1981 because there is a very specific event coming this month that we're not going to talk about until we talk about it. Know what I'm saying? Have a good week, everybody. Take care.